A bad day. A bad day generally begins with a false start. I don't know if you've had these experiences before, but you take off out of, well, in this case, out of the cannon, and maybe it doesn't go off appropriately. Uh, bad day, you take off, you head out to your car, you're running late, you, you start up, you head down the street, and you realize you forgot your coffee, and, well, you can't not have your coffee, so you go back home real quick, you run in, and you grab your coffee, and then you get halfway um, away from your house in your car, and you realize you forgot to fill up with gas the night before, and then you remember that you live in the occult, and you're right in the middle of battleground in Yakult. It's too late to turn around to go back to the trading post, and you're hoping you can coast down and not get stuck on the hill going back up into battleground. And let's just say you make it there, and you end up at the gas station, and your ATM doesn't work. Your ATM card doesn't work, and of course you don't have any cash, and you're stuck there again, and everything's kind of out of, out of place, and you get this bad start, the bad start to a day. And I think we all have experiences like that. When we come to our text, starting last week and now today, what we're seeing is a different picture of a start of something. And it wasn't a bad start. Um, It was a great start. As Jesus went into ministry, as he came, he's some 25 to 30 years old, and he comes into ministry, and he does something very special. And just to kind of review What we're doing today is we're going to look at what does it look like to start well. Now, in this context, we're talking about Jesus starting his earthly ministry. And so that might be the greatest correlation to the principles that we could apply today. But we also have starts, both big and small, all of the time in our life. We we start every day. And so these principles that we talk about here could be principles that we could apply every day in our life. Sometimes we start new relationships. We We might start a new book or a new job. We start things all of the time. And how do we start them? Well, Jesus gives us a pattern. Last week what we experienced was the first thing was Jesus walked in humility. He started out by walking in humility in verse 9. It said, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. He came from a humble place, and he experienced a humble act of baptism. Secondly, what did he do? Verse 10 said that, and immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. From the very outset of Jesus' ministry, he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life. And then thirdly, he went on and he got his dad's approval and his dad's blessing. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well Please. So that was, that was last week. That was the first half. And now we continue on and we're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12, if you want to look, it says this. Immediately the Spirit impelled him. Your translation may say compelled or drove him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. All right, to start well, we, we've got these three things from last week. Let's pick up the fourth thing that we see here is be prepared. Be prepared for highs and lows. When you start something new, you have to realize there's not just the good times. Normally when we start something new, we normally are motivated by the fun stuff, the good stuff, that are gonna, the, the, the life change that's going to happen or, or the, the benefits of what might come from that. But we need to understand there are the low side of things as well. Now we'll look at the context. Jesus has just experienced, he has just experienced a monumental moment. It is the inauguration of his ministry. He gets baptized 
And he has what I think every human being deeply desires. I don't know about you, but not all of you have great relationships with your parents, great relationships with your dad. But I do know that all of us would greatly need in our lives to hear, son, daughter, I love you so much. You mean everything to me, and I'm proud of you. You're blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. That's what Jesus had just got when he had been baptized. He got the assurance of his dad. Great way to start out. And you want to just bask in that for just a moment, in that high. But what does our verse say? That first word, the word that Mark uses a lot. It says immediately. Immediately, at the moment of that high, the Spirit impels him. So we have to look at, we have to look at three words uh, here in this. The first one is immediately. Uh-oh, what's about to happen? Well, we know that it's going to go from this high place to something else. What is that else? And then it's, the word there is impelled. And, uh, just a question outside of this. Can you see that okay, or do I need to make that bigger next time? Is that okay? Those of you in the back, okay, I got a thumbs up. All right, let me know if I want to make sure that it's visible. Impelled. This, this word, impelled, means to drive. And what's interesting here. Immediately, it was the Spirit of God that impelled Jesus out into the wilderness. We know what is going to happen. We'll get there in just a minute. But literally, he was so led by the Spirit that the Spirit led him out from this mountaintop experience into this valley of the shadow of death experience. And then the next word that's, that's key here is the word wilderness. Now, wilderness, this is the actual Judean wilderness that it's talking about. And this area of the Judean wilderness right here is about 35 miles long and a roughly 15 miles wide. And it's not a very enjoyable place to spend a lot of time. It's, it's dusty. It's arid. It's inhospitable. It's a desert. And, and it's not a good place to go. But this is immediately where the Spirit of God drove Jesus. He drove Jesus out to this place. From a high experience to a low experience. Now, I just, I just want to say for a minute and ask you this quick question. You don't have to just put it on the side. But, but are you really comfortable in your Christian faith? Is your Christian faith at a place where you feel like things are just kind of cruising along and just okay? Um, I would ask you if you're in that place. You know, maybe you're not feeling strongly challenged in any one particular way, but you just kind of like the way things are. I would ask you, when was the last wilderness, wilderness experience that you had? When was the last time that you were at a place where you were, were in such desperate need of God that you could call it a wilderness experience? We don't know from this text, but we know from both Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that Jesus also was fasting for those 40 days. He went without food and without water. He was at his weakest point in the most desolate place, and he was in absolute need of and desperate for the relationship with his Father. Now, how do you handle these kind of situations? How do you handle the wilderness situations? A believer, any of you that are here, that know Christ, this is how you do that. This is one of many ways. You redefine your lows as your highs. You learn to redefine your lows as your highs. You take your thoughts captive. How do you do that? What does that actually look like? Like, how do you go about that process? You learn to see the difficulties, the hardships of your life, not as those hardships, but instead as gifts, as blessings. The present sufferings, this might sound familiar, the present sufferings of this world, 
don't compare to the glorious riches that are to be revealed in and through you as Christ works in you. Romans 8.18. Now listen to how Paul talks about the lows of life. I know you probably can't all see that, but if you'd like to turn there, it's in Romans 8.35-38. I'll read it. It says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The low times will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it's written. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But on all these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our lows can become highs because we have the prize, which is the love of God in our life through Jesus Christ. So our lows can become our highs. And that's a great gift that we have as those that that partake in this mystery, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to just say, sensitively, some of you in this room, because I know you've told me, are in incredibly low places right now. Now, it doesn't show on your faces or in the way that you dress. But I know that we, we come here to a place like this with heavy burdens, some of us. And I just, with that, have the only thing that I can offer to you, which is the truth of God's word, that The one here who has gone out and is being tempted, who's being propelled, impelled, compelled, driven out, the spirit driving Jesus out, he knows. He can sympathize. He understands not just the low of your low, but even far beyond the low. And so I can't do anything but to encourage you to take these words of Paul seriously. Neither height nor nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if we ever were to get away from that general message here at this church, we're doing something wrong. Because the answer to our problems is the good news of Christ Jesus. That he came, that he lived this perfect life and died this horrific death so that we could be close to God. And when we are in our lowest point in time, we can rest and rely on his strength and come under him. Fifthly here, fifthly here, goes to verse 13. It says, And he was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. What's the fifth thing that we see here that has to do with a good start? Know that the lows, this is encouraging, the lows tend to last longer than the highs. Some of this is certainly um, experiential from from my vantage point i can say that i can sometimes think the the good times the mountain times the top times don't seem to last long enough and the valley times seem to last forever is there a purpose in that well we we can know that we can know that jesus experienced that well because we get this blip of a verse that he was baptized and got this great experience with his heavenly father And then immediately he's driven out to the desert, not for a blip of time, but for 40 days, 40 days, 40 nights. He's out in the Judean wilderness that we talked about in this time of, we'll talk about this in a minute, but testing. The number 40, I'm sure most of you have heard the number 40. It's a very significant number in Bible history, in the people of God. 40 days reoccurs many, many times. Um, One of the examples, Moses lived... 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert. 
He was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights twice. He, spent, he sent out spies for 40 days to investigate the land in which God had promised it as an inheritance. Jonah powerfully warned the Ninevites for 40 days. Ezekiel had laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize Judah's sin. And Elijah went 40 days without food or water. And here, in this, we see Jesus going out for 40 days, no food, no water, into that, that area that we had just saw. Now, what we need to know is this, that whenever the number 40 comes up in the Bible, it almost in every case is symbolizing a period of testing or trials or temptations. Testing, trials, and temptations. When we come to the New Testament, there is one word that is used in both ways in the English language. We use the word tempt as well as the word test, but it's the same actual word in the original language. The word is right here, tempted. The word is parazo, parazo, and, and here, here, here's how this word works itself out. If it's from an evil source, if it's coming from an evil place, then it's normally translated in the English language as tempted. So in this case, it is Satan that is parazoing Jesus, so it is a temptation. Um, when it comes from a good source, in this case it would be from God, then it's known as a test or a trial. Why does that matter? It really doesn't matter too much as far as the translation, but we need to understand that in this life, it is absolutely impossible to escape temptations or absolutely impossible to escape trials or tests of many kinds. It's impossible to avoid those things. And God allows for temptation from the evil one, and he tests us with trials for the same purpose, the, the end result is the same. He tests us because he counts us worthy, because he loves us, because he wants us to grow. He wants us to be strengthened. And so you can sit here, and I had a brother this week that said to me, he said, I just feel like I'm really under some great temptation right now. And so one sense, it's like, well, let's pray. And then in the other sense, that's great news. Because if you're sensing temptation, then, then that means that you have an enemy that doesn't want you in the game. Uh, I, I, I saw, I don't know if you've all met the Miller family. Uh, most of you may know the Miller family. Noah was up here playing his, his guitar earlier. And, and Beth is at a basketball tournament right now. And both of them are, are um, into basketball. And I love basketball and sports. And so this is a good sports analogy when we think about this. But I just want you to imagine for a moment, and I'll use Elizabeth because she's not here as an example. Um, so Elizabeth, let's say at her school at Battleground, there's three teams. There's the varsity team, there's the junior varsity team, and there's the C team. I don't know if there's another name for it, but we'll just say A, B, and C. And let's say that Elizabeth is on the B team. But let's say that she's a ringer, that she's out there and she's just cleaning up. She's scoring the highest points, she's getting all the rebounds, she is uh, emotionally a leader on the team, and she always has the best stats. Any good coach that cares about her development and cares about the team rather than his own ego, which is a problem with a lot of coaches. I don't know her coach, so I didn't mean that in a bad way. But anyway, any coach that's worth their salt is going to put her in a, in a position that tests her, that, that has her exercise because it's too easy for her down here in, in, in the B team. She needs to be up with the, the, the varsity team so that she can grow and that she can stretch and so that she can get into the WNBA and she can make lots of money and support her parents through retirement. <laughs> Amen. 
all those kind of things. But that's the point of a coach. A coach allows us to go through that time because he cares for us and our growth. And, and so a lot of times when we feel pressure, when we feel temptation, when it's coming at us, it can cause us to want to crawl into a hole and shirk back when we need to realize that God would only allow Satan to tempt us, and God would only put a trial or a test into our life because he sees us as worthy and wants us to grow and to step into new areas of faith and growth and strength for, for his kingdom because that's what really matters in, in, in the meantime anyway or in the long term anyhow. So it kind of goes back to that same question I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself. Oh, yeah, so another thing we need to understand, and hopefully I made this clear, that God himself is not one that tempts us. He just allows temptation to come. We see that in James. He allows the temptation to come, but he's not the one who himself tempts us. All right, so the question here is, am I growing in faith? Am I growing? I'm not asking you to answer for me. I'm asking you to ask yourself that question. Is my faith, is it growing? There's probably lots of ways that you could ask that question of yourself and answer that question, and there are lots of ways. I'm just going to give you one, one way, and this is the one way. You can know if you're growing. You absolutely love winning the battle. You love the battle of faith, and you love winning the battle. One of the greatest highs of your day, of your week, of your season of life is the high, the experience of knowing that the evil one is throwing arrowy, arrowy, fiery arrows, darts at you, and you are able to repel those. And you walk away, and you know that you just stood the test. That God deemed you worthy enough to be tempted. He allowed the enemy to to throw a a, a test your way. Or he himself put a, a test before you, and you won. You passed the test. There is no greater experience for a Christian than to, to overcome temptation and to walk away knowing that you have passed the test. Who likes to fail the test? You look at my report card in middle school, you might think that that was me, but it's not. No. We love to pass the test. So, do you love winning? Are you, are you growing in your faith? How do you do when the temptation comes your way? James, again, James 4, submit to God, therefore, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. There is a great, great joy that comes from resisting the devil, from obeying this command, submitting to God, resisting the devil, and then having him flee from you. Now, this is what we need to know, right? You know what 1 Peter says. If you don't, you should go to the Sunday morning Bible study with Dr. Bob. But 1 Peter says that our enemy is like a crouching, roaring lion that's sneaking around ready to devour us, devour his prey. Our enemy is really good. I like to, I like to think of him as, he's, one of the, he's like a Cy Young pitcher. I know, not all of you know baseball. Um, another sports analogy, though. I'll try to make it quick. So, so if you have, if you have a, a Cy Young winner, he's, he's been deemed the best pitcher of the year. Well, let's just say that's Satan. And then you have, then you have um, one of the best batters, home run leaders of the year. Let's say the, this home run leader has hit 35 home runs because this is the post-steroid era. He's hit 35 home runs. This pitcher, the Cy Young winner, if he's 
Well, he's gotten to the point that he's gotten to because he looks at this batter and he studies him. And he says, okay, out of his 35 home runs, 25 of those home runs were fastballs on the inside corner. And the other 10 home runs were fastballs on the the inside corner but up high. So guess what? I'm not going to throw fastballs on the inside corner. I'm going to throw him some junk. I'm going to throw him a curveball on the outside corner. I'm going to adjust my strategy to, to take care of him. Our adversary is good at what he does. He is the Cy Young winner. And as we learn to flee, he decides to not pitch us on the inside corner or we are able to, to win. We have to stay on our toes. We have to practice. We have to do the things in which we talked about last week, learning to humble ourselves, learning to walk in the Spirit, so that when those darts come our way, we know how to handle those things. Because he's really good at what he does. How are you being tempted? What is, what is your temptation today? Because I know for myself, the temptation that I face today as a 41, what am I, 41, 41, 42, 41, I'm 41. As a 41-year-old man, um, the temptations that I face today are far different than they were when I was 20. And, and it may be the same for you. I think our temptations adjust through the years for lots of different reasons. Um, what are your temptations? And are you winning them by his strength, by his power? Are you winning those temptations? I know that as I get older, my temptations become less tangible and more intangible. They're heart issues, bitterness, anger, jealousy, those kind of things. And it takes one that is willing to, to grow in their faith, to, to find those things, to attack those things, to go after those things. Great news about this is 1 John 4.4. 4. The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Is that not good news? I find that to be really good news. The one who is in us, because sometimes... The one who's in the world seems very present through a lot of different things. And I won't get political, but just he seems very present. So 1 John 4.4, 4, the one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Um, verse 12 ends with these two really neat, vivid touches. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. But the first aspect of, of this, this final touch in verse 12 is that, uh, or verse, I should say verse 13. Um, it said that immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, in verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and, this is it, and he was with the wild beasts. He was with the wild beasts. Why is that put in there? There's, there's lots of different discussion why that is going on. It says wild beasts on purpose, I believe, and, and, and yet it was, says he was with them. We know that he obviously didn't get devoured by them because he comes out of the temptation. Um, it's my personal feeling and again it's probably just because i want it to be this way and there's not any clear evidence in scripture but i, I want to believe that that he was an animal lover i mean he created them and so here he is and the animals knew before humankind knew that this is the king of the kings and the lord of the lords so as he's in a down spot he has his animals that are comforting him again that's just me i don't know if that's the actual there was lots of lots of um, more theological explanations but no one was convincing. So, uh, Secondly, it says here, and the angels were ministering to them. I think this is a more important point. When our hour of need is greatest, when we are at our lowest point, the angels come alongside and minister on our behalf. We, we, we see some of that in the, 
Romans 8 passage. We see some of that as Paul talks to the Ephesian church about the war that goes on behind the scenes. And we see a really cool picture of that. I'm not going to go there, but if you're writing notes, you can write down 2 Kings chapter 6. And what's going on in this particular situation? There is Elisha, and he is out, and he is under attack, and his servant is just absolutely freaking out, terrified. And so this is what Elisha prays to God on behalf of his servant. It says, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. How great would that be? You know, to be able to, you know, I think we see open up the heavens so we can see you. So, so that when we're going about our day, when we're looking about to, to love someone radically like Christ would love someone, or, or to share our heart with someone, share our faith with someone, and, and we're feeling anxiety about doing so or persecution or we're at a low point and we say lord could you just for a moment open up my eyes so that i can see the angels that are there at work battling for me he doesn't do that like that but it gives me goosebumps i like the goosebumps and i know that scripture reveals this so i know that that's taking place and that's good enough for me because i believe the truth of scripture all right, let's go on to, to verses 14 and 15. And it's number six. It's number six in your notes. How do you start well and stay the course? You keep a laser focus on your goal. You keep a laser focus on your goal. Look at verse 14. It says, Now after John had been taken into custody, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. You want to start well and, and end well, you stay focused on the goal at hand. All right, so I hope this doesn't sidetrack us too much, but this is something that I took a picture of at the men's retreat. I'm not going to say whose shirt it was. You might finish it. All right, so I don't know, can you read that? It says um, NRA. And that's the bullseye, and those are a bunch of bullet holes. And it says, this is my idea of group therapy. <laughs> Grouping of bullets, target shooting. Okay, you don't get that. Okay, I thought it was a great shirt. <laughs> okay, I'll just, let's just move on from that then. Uh, so this is my idea of group therapy. All right, so where, where was that going? Look at my notes. Okay, so this is where that's going. So at the men's retreat, we did a lot of, a lot of shooting. And I got an experience that I had never got before. And uh, it was shooting a pistol with a laser scope. Surprisingly enough, it was a green, a green scope just like that. And, and it was weird because I'll always, when I've shot in the past, you always have to look down the, the barrel and, and fire and, and, in my case, miss. Uh, but this, in this case, you've got, the, you've got the arrow, and you pretty much know that wherever that arrow is, can you all see that? Wherever that arrow is, uh, is where the bullet is going to go. So you, don't, you can just kind of go any direction, and it's like, I can shoot the gun this way, or, or, you know, or this way, or just any way that you want. I can shoot the gun that way. Well, I'm thinking, this has got to be easy, and I have Marshall standing over me, and he says, okay. And, and so we put up a clay pigeon like this, and it was like, oh, 10 feet away. It was not very far. And it was a safe clay pigeon after about four shots. It was still fully in place. 
And, and Marshall just kind of kindly kept saying, you're jerking the trigger. See, right, right as I got to the point where I wanted to pull, I was creeping the trigger back, but as I was getting close to the end of it firing, I was, I was anticipating, I know it sounds such sissiness, but I was anticipating the recoil. Isn't that pathetic? And so I would jerk it away. I would just pull it away. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to beat myself up after the sermon for saying this. But, but anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that oftentimes within our faith, when things begin to really heat up and we, we feel pressure, uh, we feel temptation, the, the test is great. We're afraid of maybe what's going to happen or, or the consequences might, well, that might come my way if, if I don't run at this point in time and not step out in faith. And, and it's like pulling away from, for, at the last second, kind of pulling away and not keeping our eyes focused on our goal, focused on the prize, focused on what we're all about. And, and, uh, and so Paul, Paul, Paul talks about this um, later on in, in the book of Philippians when he says, one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind. Um, I forget about the, the recoil that's about to come. Uh, and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. As pressure comes, we keep focused on the goal. Or not. I mean, any, any entrepreneur knows this. They know that you've got to keep your eye focused on what's important. If you, if you, if you stray from that, you're going to go all kinds of different directions. But keep your eyes focused on what is most important. And one of the things I love about my Jesus is that he is no wimp. He is no wimp. We see it right there. You can read by it and not even notice it. But it says, now after John had been taken into custody. John the Baptist had just been arrested. So Jesus went in, into a place of hiding. No. Persecution's coming, and Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. He stayed focused on what he was supposed to do. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. He kept a laser focus. I want to ask you, in your own personal life, just you and me having a cup of coffee, how are you doing in the area of gospel proclamation? How is your life um, outside these walls, in, in the walls of your home, at your business, at your favorite activity? How is your life proclaiming the good news of Christ? Through the things that you say, through the way that you engage people? How is your life staying laser focused on the good news of Christ? I really hope it is engaged and you are able to not when when the world's pressures are around you kind of pull away uh, from from the target from the goal i hope you're you're doing better at that than i am with my my shooting how are you doing matthew 6:33 jesus says seek first first he's talking to any one of you in here and me that are followers of jesus seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Let that be the thing that you and I seek first. And all the other stuff that we spend a lot of time thinking about and seeking after, that stuff is going to take care of itself. Seek me first. Practically, just want to ask you this question. Where are you serving specifically in this church? Where are you using your gifts um, to edify this body of people, um, this body of people that, that God has planted here? 
Where are you identifying an area that, you know what, God's kind of shaped me in this way and I can engage in this way? Um, are you engaged in that kind of, in that kind of goal? Um, again, our, our goal here as our church is to reach with the gospel those who are close to us but are far from Jesus. That is our goal. But that is nothing more than a plaque on the wall if we're not engaged in it, if we're not all pulling together. And you know the best way we can do this? One of the best ways. One of the best ways is through loving the kids of this town. That is one of the best ways that we as a church can accomplish not just our mission statement. Our mission statement is really just the great commission and the great commandment put into a little soundbite. This is doing the things that God calls us to do on this earth because life is short. But eternity, if you didn't know, is long. And there's people here that need that eternity. Uh, so one of the greatest ways we can do that is, is love the kids of this town. And uh, I just have to believe that the way that God is working in us, that there's some of you that are here that, that could be stepping up to engage in children's ministry here. Uh, we have a hard time staffing even our Sunday morning, Sunday school, and nursery. Um, so if you feel like God's calling you to do that, that's great. Another issue, I told you about poor Dave O'Brien earlier. We, Jess and Jerry Seekins and Clayton and Annette Adams, we have all of these kids, all of these kids that are, that are here at this town that fill this church up and bounce basketballs off of lights and everything. God loved them. Great, great things. But we have, we have a need. We have a need for more of you to come alongside some of these kids and love them, to support our leaders and to support these kids. Where are you engaged? Where are you involved in this? Now, if you're already doing something here, then please forget what I'm saying. Um, I'm not talking to those that are already committed to other things, but I do believe that there are some of us in here that, that uh, God is touching our hearts to, to get involved and engaged. And then lastly, lastly, and this kind of goes to this last point, but next is gather your team. Gather your team. Follow along as I read here, um, verses, verses uh, 16 to 20. It says this, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Went away to follow him. No sooner did Jesus make this decision to start his earthly ministry, to go out and to be baptized. No sooner he had done this, got the approval and the blessing of his dad, gone into and come out of, in a victorious way, the temptation in the, the wilderness, does he come out and he gathers his team, his team of people. God designed us this way. God designed us to to walk closely with one another, to walk closely with brothers and sisters in Christ. He challenged us to do that. The, there's two things I'll, I'll end with here. And the first one that I love about him choosing his disciples is they're just ordinary folk. They are fishermen. They're just like the, the rest of us. I love this about my Savior. He just picks the average everyday person. 
because it's not the gift of men that makes an eternal impact. It's the power of God's Spirit in a man and in a woman that makes an eternal impact. So he gathers around his team. And not only were they a simple people, but they were going about an their work. They were fishing when he came along. They were just doing their daily work when he came along and chose them. And I say that just to say, throughout our days, what a great blessing that is, that, that God shows up and meets us in the everyday of our life. That he shows up when we're at work, when we're dealing with the kids that are driving us crazy, or we're, we're at whatever appointment that we're at. He shows up in the everyday of our life, and he whispers to us, and he just says, go, go love that person. Or take some time, step away from this, the busyness and hecticness of your day from this low time and let your mind be renewed. Let's just spend time together. Hebrews, Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you need to see the day drawing near. Boy, the day's drawing near, and boy, do we need this gathering together. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I am just so blessed and I'm so encouraged by you at this church. I know I put my thumb on us a little bit about finding ways that we need to step up and I don't want to, don't want to pull that away. I think that's good. But I just love this church. I love the way that you love one another. I love the way you work behind the scenes to care for one another. And I love how you come to me and say, if you say to me, to anybody else, what I just did, then I'm going to egg your house, which happens. Many of you say that. I don't want any credit for this. But I love that. I love that we as a church are, 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 are doing some of these things and willing to respond by faith and step into new waters. Because it feels like we're in new waters. It feels that way to me. And it's exciting. It's exciting. And I want to start well. Today's a good day to start well, a good day to start fresh, because we have important, important work to do today. I'd like the worship team to come up. You can close this out in just what we read here, in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts.